Well, I have missed you, Friends Church. I have missed you so much. I'm not going to ask if you miss me. No, it is so good to see all of you. I know it's, it's really late to say this, but I haven't seen you yet. So happy new year to all of you. I hope you're having a great start to the new year. My family and I, we definitely are. We've been loving all this cold and all this rain. We have not loved the leaks we have discovered in our roof as a result of all this rain, but we've had a great start to the new year and I hope you have as well. And uh, speaking kind of of new years of new beginnings in just a second, we're gonna continue on with our series, All Things New. Before we do that, however, I do wanna let you know about something else that's gonna be happening this week. Some of you may know this, but the first Thursday of every month, we have a time where we gather together for prayer. And uh, this Thursday, this upcoming Thursday, if you can believe it's already the first Thursday of February, it's February 2nd, Groundhog Day. And uh, we decided in this first Thursday in February that we want to spend some time praying for healing, both praying for healing in our nation because there's a lot going on, but also praying for healing among the needs of people in our church. We know a lot of people are suffering right now physically, emotionally, mentally, maybe even spiritually. And we believe the best thing that we can do when we are in situations like that is go to God. That's what God's Word tells us to do. And so, if you or someone you know uh, could benefit some for some prayer, for some healing over any area of their life, we would love to invite you. All you have to do is show up 7 p.m. in the pavilion on Thursday, dress warm because it gets kind of cold in there. Um, but we would love for you to show up and we're just going to allow God to take it from there, okay? So you can find more information about that online. But with that being said, we are going to turn our attention now to God's Word. If you brought your Bibles, Romans chapter 10 is where we find ourselves today as we continue this All Things New series, Romans 10. And as you find your place there, I'm going to put a statement on the screen. And you can write this down if you want, or you can take a picture of it if you want. The statement is this. If you want to ensure God's blessing, find out what God is passionate about and begin doing that. Let me read that again, okay? It says this. It says, if you want to ensure God's blessing, find out what God is passionate about and begin doing that. And let me tell you the background behind this statement. This statement right here is a variation of a quote that I first heard from Bono of all people. And Bono, in case you don't know, he's a lead singer of U2, and Bono is also a Christian. And several years ago, Bono was speaking at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. And at this prayer breakfast, he was talking about how early on in his career, he used to spend a lot of time asking God to bless the various things that he was doing. So for example, whenever U2 would release a new song, he would ask God to bless it. Or whenever his band would go on tour, he would ask God to bless his tour bless his family, and so on. Well, Bono says that one day he had a wise Christian mentor who told him to stop doing that. And this mentor said to Bono something like this. He said, Bono, he said, you need to stop asking God to bless what you're doing. Instead, this man says, what you need to do is you need to get involved in what God is already doing because then you know it's already blessed. In other words, he said some variation of this quote right here. If you want to ensure God's blessing, find out what God is passionate about and begin doing that. And I think there is such a great truth in this idea for you and me. You know, one of the things I hope for all of us in this room is that we want to live lives that have God's blessing on them. And what I mean by that is we want to live lives that have God's stamp of approval, that have God's favor on it. Well, if that's the case, then one of the questions that comes from that is, what can we do to, to make sure that that happens? 
Well, one of the things that we can do is we can do what Bono used to do. We can do whatever it is that we want to do, and we can spend time asking and praying for God to bless it. And let me make something clear, okay? God sometimes absolutely does answer those prayers. In fact, one of the things that the Bible tells us is that if we're walking with Jesus, the very desires that we have, they come from Jesus himself. And so there is nothing necessarily wrong with doing what you're passionate about and asking God to bless it. God sometimes says yes to that. Absolutely he does. But at the same time, if we want to ensure that what we're doing has God's stamp of approval on it, I think this is the way. Let's find out what God is passionate about. Let's find out where God is already moving. Let's find out where God is already working. And let's get involved in that. If we want to ensure God's blessing, find out what God is passionate about and begin doing that. And that is a direct lead into what we're going to be talking about today. Because brothers and sisters, I can think of few things in this life that God is more passionate about than seeing lost people come into relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. I brought you today to this passage in Romans chapter 10. And just to give you a word of context, the book of Romans that we find ourselves in today, it was originally written by a man, <coughs> excuse me, the smoke machines get me. It was originally written by a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. And Paul was one of the early leaders of the Christian movement. And this, uh, the, today I brought you to a passage that is right in the middle of a section of this book that Paul wrote that's all about the grand design of God's plan to save the world. It's all about the, the grand design of God's plan to bring people into relationship with him. And the passage we're going to look at today, it starts in verse 12. And what this passage is all about is it's all about the nitty-gritty of that plan. And what I mean by that is it's all about the details of that plan that God has to bring uh, the world into relationship with him. And it begins with a couple of verses. It's all about God's heart for his creation. Pick it up with me in verse 12 of Romans chapter 10. This is what Paul writes. He says, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Stop right there. And here's what I want to do, okay? I'm going to read those couple of verses again. And as I do, I want you to listen very intently. And I want you to see if you see any word or any theme that is repeated in what Paul writes here. Again, verse 12, Paul says this. He says, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And did you hear it? There's this emphasis on all. And every isn't there. What Paul says in this passage, he says it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. And by the way, that includes everybody in the world. He says it doesn't matter if you're Jew or you're Gentile. He says anybody, everybody who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. There's this emphasis on all and every. And there's a reason why Paul makes this emphasis in this passage. You see, at the time that Paul wrote the book of Romans... Uh, there was a widespread belief that a lot of people had that the God of the Bible, that he really only loved one group of people here on this earth, or uh, at the very least, he, won lo he loved one group of people most here on this earth, and that was the Jewish people. 
In other words, a lot of people thought that God was a lot like those parents who have a very favorite kid among their children here in this life. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you had parents like that and you were definitely not your parents' favorite kid. Now, I won't tell you where I ranked among my siblings, but you can all probably guess, can't you? But the, but the Jewish people, they especially thought that God was like that, okay? And because of that, they thought that when it came to salvation, a lot of the Jewish people thought that they had a special in with God when it came to salvation. In other words, what they thought is they thought that God was most interested in, or in some cases, they thought that God was only interested in saving Jewish people. If other people ended up getting saved, that was great, but some people thought that that really wasn't God's heart, and that really wasn't God's plan. Well, the Apostle Paul here, he knows that's not the case. In fact, he knows going all the way back to the book of Genesis, all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, that it has always been God's desire to save people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. In fact, as, as God says to Abraham, and in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, and a lot of scholars think that Paul is somehow quoting, in some way quoting this verse here. As God says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the very first book in our Bible, he says, Abraham, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And what God is saying here is, I don't want to just save or bless the Jewish people. I want, to, I want to save people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. And that is what Paul is reiterating here in this passage. God doesn't love just one group of people. No, God loves the whole world, the Bible tells us. And God wants the whole world to be in relationship with him. And this is the first point that I, I sort of want to drive home today. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I, I got the opportunity to attend a church service of a friend of mine. He's a pastor of, a, of another church. And the church that the, my, the friend of mine pastors, it's kind of in a more urban environment, a little bit more inner city environment. And so a lot of the people who are at his church, they are brand new Christians. And because of that, they're, they're, some of them are a little bit rough around the edges. In fact, as I was walking into this church service, there was a group of people standing in front of the church building and they were waiting for the service to start. And I'm pretty sure I overheard one of them swear, one of them cussed in front of the church building before the service started. And you have to understand, this, this is unfamiliar territory for me, okay? I'm used to your Belinda. I'm used to you all. And you are so refined and you are so sophisticated and you don't cuss before church services, at least not that I hear. Maybe you do in your car. I don't know. Maybe you cuss after church services. I don't know. But this was a little bit uncomfortable for me. So anyway, the church service started and we all went in and we started worshiping. And as we were worshiping, I had sort of this wave of conviction come over me. And I felt as though God impressed something upon my heart. And if I could articulate what it was I felt God was impressing upon my heart, I put it like this. I felt like God was saying to me, hey, Chris, you know I love these people too, don't you? And Chris, you know I sent my son to, to die for these people too, don't you? And Chris, you realize, don't you, that you, you're no more deserving of salvation than they are. In other words, what I felt like God said to me is I felt like God said to me, Chris, when my word says that I love the whole world, I mean that I love the whole world. And I want the whole world to be in relationship with me. And this is so important for us to recognize. You know, one of the, the dangers, you might say, of having me as one of your pastors 
is because I believe that biblical topics like God's judgment and God's wrath are not talked about as much in churches these days. I I probably tend to talk about these subjects a little bit more than some other pastors. And listen, I make no apologies for that. We have to talk about these things. At the same time, however, you need to realize that although the Bible makes it clear that God's judgment and God's wrath are a part of the way that God reveals himself on this earth, you have to understand that the Bible also makes it clear That God's judgment and God's wrath do not define God. In other words, nowhere in the Bible does it say God is judgment. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God is wrath. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God is anger. But you know what the Bible does say? It does say God is love. Wrath and judgment and anger do not define God, but love does. And there is no greater demonstration of God's love than his desire to save sinful people. It's like what Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3.22 when he says this. He says, it is because of the Lord's great love that we are not consumed. And what Jeremiah is saying there is he's saying because of our sin, God has every right to consume us. But because God is love, he chooses not to. It's God's love that drives his desire for salvation. It's God's love that drives his desire to have us be in relationship with him. God loves his creation, and that's what Paul is picking up on here. Now, that being said, the fact that the Bible makes it clear that God loves the whole world, it doesn't mean that everybody in this world ends up getting saved. And the Bible is very clear on that, too. And the reason why is because when it comes to salvation, there is a decision that God places in each one of our laps. And this is what we find in verses 14 and 15 of Romans chapter 10. In verses 14 and 15 of Romans chapter 10, there are a couple of really interesting verses in our Bible. And the reason why is because, as I alluded to earlier, here is where you get really the the nitty-gritty of salvation. And what I mean by that is this. You know, if you were to ask me, Pastor Chris, what has to occur in order for someone to find themselves in heaven at the end of time? Well, then one of the passages I would take you to is Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. Because what Paul gives us in these couple of verses is he gives us a sequence of events, a chain reaction of events that has to occur in order for someone to find themselves in heaven at the end of time. And this chain reaction of events, it takes the form of a series of rhetorical questions Four in total that Paul asks in these two verses. Look with me at verses 14 and 15 and you'll begin to see what I mean. This is what Paul writes. He says, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And you see these four questions that Paul asks here. And these four questions, they can be summarized in four words. And we're going to put those words on the back screen. And the words are this, believing, hearing, telling, and going. Okay, believing, hearing, telling, and going. And let me spend just a little bit of time explaining each of these to you. Here's how this passage works, okay? First word that Paul gives us, or I give you, is the word believing. And that's because the first thing that Paul does in this passage is he tells us what is ultimately necessary in order for us to find ourselves in heaven at the end of time. 
And what is that? It's that we have to believe in Jesus. The first question that Paul asks is this in verse 14. He says, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And what Paul is picking up on here is what we find all throughout the New Testament. And that is that the only way to have eternal life is to put your faith and trust in Jesus. It's to accept Jesus, believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's like this meme I found online. I kind of like this. Someone wrote this. They said, brain cells die, skin cells die, and even hair cells die. But the fat cells in my stomach must have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior since they seem to have eternal life. <laughs> and that's kind of right, right? But that is the decision that God places in each one of our laps. Yes, the Bible makes it clear that God wants everybody to be saved, but... The Bible also makes it clear that we have to choose to believe in Jesus. And that's the first thing that Paul says here. But here's what Paul knows, okay? And maybe you've never thought about this before. But before anybody believes in Jesus, there's actually a few things that have to happen before that. So for example, immediately before someone believes in Jesus, you know what has to happen? Well, they have to hear about Jesus. Before believing always comes hearing. And that's the second question that Paul asks. Middle of verse 14, he says this. He says, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And what Paul is describing here is probably the experience of all of us in this room. Before any of you believed in Jesus, you heard about Jesus. Some of you heard about him only once and you put your faith in him right away. Others of you heard about him hundreds of times before you believed in him. But nevertheless, before believing always comes hearing. And that's the second thing that Paul says. But guess what? That's not all, brothers and sisters. Because before anybody can hear about Jesus, there's something that has to happen before that. And you know what that is? Well, that is someone has to tell you about Jesus. Before hearing always comes telling. And that's the third word which is connected to the third question that Paul asks here. End of verse 14. He says, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And once again, that's the experience of probably everybody in this room. How did you hear about Jesus? Well, you had a mom, you had a dad, you had a pastor, you had a youth group leader who, who preached Jesus to you, who told you about Jesus before hearing always comes telling. But that's not enough. Because before anybody can be told about Jesus, there's something that has to happen before that. And what is that? Well, that person has to get up off the couch and they have to decide to go and they have to decide to tell you about Jesus. And that's the fourth word connected to the last question that Paul asked, beginning in verse 15. He says this. He says, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Before telling comes going. And that's what Paul says in this passage. And it can be summed up in these four words. Believing, hearing, telling, going. Now here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to read these words in reverse order. I want you to read these words from the bottom up. If you do that, what do you get? Well, you get going, telling, hearing, believing. Going, telling, hearing, believing. You know what that is right there? You know what Paul's giving us right there? He is giving us what I call the process of salvation. These are the things that God says needs to happen in order for someone to get saved. This is the process of salvation. And as you look at this list here, what stands out to you? Well, I'll tell you what stands out to me, okay? 
as you look at this list here, what, what stands out to me is that where does salvation actually begin? Salvation does not begin with the person who needs to be saved. No, salvation begins with you and me. Salvation begins with you and me deciding that we don't want to keep the message of Jesus to ourselves, but we want to go and we want to share it with other people. That's what's called in the church evangelism, and that's really what Paul is talking about here. Salvation does not begin with the world out there. Salvation begins with you and me. Now, why do I emphasize this? Why do I make this a big deal? Here's the reason why. It's because as I was studying this passage this past week, there was an insight that I never had before. You see, as I was studying this passage this past week, especially those four things right there, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans. And I was thinking about how Paul got saved. And if you know anything about Paul, you know that he actually did not get saved in this way. No, how did Paul get saved? It's Acts chapter 9. All of a sudden, Paul is on a desert road. And we're told that Jesus himself appears in the sky. And he reaches out to Paul. And Paul believes in that way. You see, Paul didn't believe in Jesus because someone was sent, because someone got off the couch to tell Paul about Jesus. No, Paul believed in Jesus because Jesus himself appeared to Paul. You see, God can circumvent this process if he wants to. And by the way, he does sometimes today. In fact, one of the biggest stories to come out of missions in recent years, some of you have probably heard about this, but in Muslim countries, especially among women in Muslim countries, there are all these women who are coming to faith in Jesus. And you know how they're coming to faith in Jesus? It's through dreams. Jesus is appearing to these women in dreams, and they are accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God is not bound to this process. He can get the message of Jesus out however he wants. However, those stories, they are the exceptions. No, the predominant way that, Jesus gets, that God gets the message of Jesus out is through using ordinary people like me, you and me, and sending us to preach Jesus to other people. Now, the question that I have for you is why? Why? I mean, you look at this process and it's, it's kind of clunky and inefficient, isn't it? I mean, any time that you involve human beings in things, there's always room for us to mess up. Wouldn't it be much easier if God reached everybody the way that he reached Paul? But he doesn't do that. Why does God decide to use you and me in the process of salvation? Well, I think the answer to that question is found at the end of verse 15. When Paul quotes an Old Testament passage, Isaiah 52, 7. And look at what he says, end of verse 15. It says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Men and women, why does God use us in the process of saving other people? You know why? Listen to this, because this is important. The reason why God uses you and me it's because he wants us to share in the blessing of saving other people. He wants us to share in the thrill of seeing other people come to faith in Jesus. You know, one of the things that my kids will do from time to time is my son will be maybe on his iPad playing a video game. Or one of my daughters will be reading a book, something like that. And I'll be in another room, I'll be distracted, and my kids will come up to me and they'll say, hey dad, do you want to sit next to me 
as I play this video game? Or hey, Dad, do you want to sit next to me as, as I read this book? And I'll be honest with you, and I'm ashamed to admit this, but sometimes I get a little annoyed by that question. Because, you know, I'm busy. I'm doing something. In fact, last week they asked me when I was in the bathroom, and they don't seem to understand that I'm kind of preoccupied at the moment. And sometimes I think to myself, you don't need me to sit next to you while you're playing that video game. You can do that on your own. But then in my better moments, I fight through that. And I know why my kids are asking this of me. And the reason they're asking this of me is because they get so much joy in playing that video game that they want to share it with me. They enjoy what they're doing so much that they want me to experience that same joy. Men and women, that's why God invites us into the process of evangelism. It's not because God needs us. He doesn't need us. He has millions of ways to get the message of Jesus out to other people. No, the reason why God invites us into this process is because he gets so much joy when someone comes to faith in him. And he wants to share that with us. And it's when I realized that just over the last couple of weeks that it completely changed how I thought about sharing my faith with other people. You know, many of you know I've, I've grown up in the church which means I have heard countless messages on evangelism and the importance of sharing your faith. And I myself have delivered countless messages on this subject. And usually in the messages I've heard and in the messages I've delivered, they always take the same tone. And that is the tone that evangelism is our duty and it's our responsibility. I mean, most pastors, including myself, they make sharing your faith out to be like going to the dentist or paying taxes. It's not anything that anybody likes to do, but it's something that we have to do. But that misses the whole point. We need to stop thinking about sharing our faith as something that we have to do. And we need to start thinking about it as something that we get to do. God himself loves to share Jesus with other people. And like my son with his video game, he says to us, hey, why don't you come alongside me? And why don't you join with me in what I'm doing? And going back to what I talked about at the beginning, you want to talk about a life that God blesses? I'll put it this way, men and women, some of the happiest, most fulfilled people I have ever met in this life are those who take seriously their call to share Jesus with other people. They are living a life that God blesses. And in fact, right now, I want to bring one of those people to the stage. You saw him a little bit earlier. John Egger, is, uh, who did our church life, and he's the director of our missions department here at Friends Church. And John basically has one job, and that job is to help us live out Romans chapter 10. And the way that John does that is he does it by providing a ton of opportunities for us to usually meet the physical needs of people around us. Because it's when we can meet the physical needs of a person that a door often opens for us to be able to meet their spiritual need, which is the most important need that they have, their need for Jesus. And so I thought it would be good to have John come to the stage and talk about some of the opportunities we have here at Friends Church. So would you do me a favor and give a warm welcome to John Egger as he takes the stage. Sean, thank you so much. Is that for me because I need it? Yeah, 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 I can have it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, thank you so much for being with us. You know, my office is right next door to John. 
And I mean it, John, when I say you are one of the most joy-filled people I have ever met before. And I know a huge part of that is because of what you get to do here at French Church. So why don't you tell us what is it that you do? And what I mean by that is what opportunities do we have? What are, how are we as a church helping to live out what Paul says in Romans 10 and bringing the good news of Jesus to those who need to hear about him? So as a church, we have a saying where we say, hey, we serve around the corner and around the world. And when we say that, when we say we serve around the corner, that's obviously the things that we do locally. And currently we have three initiatives that we're supporting, which is homelessness, um, foster care, and at-risk youth. And then we say uh, around the world, and that's obviously globally. And we serve globally in India, Cambodia, in, um, uh, Guatemala, and Cuba currently. So let's talk a little bit about around the world. Uh, those who have been a part of our church for a long time, they know that we've had these huge efforts in India, and some may not know anything about that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is that we are engaged in when it comes to India? Yeah, India and our relationship has just been just an amazing relationship. In 2008, Matthew went over, and God called us to go and serve in India. And since 2008, we've spent, I'm um, sorry, we've donated a, a little over $10 million to the cause. Wow. And the focus over there is education, healthcare, and women's empowerment. And our partners over there are just so amazing, and everything they do is just so great. Um, and currently, to date, uh, our partners have built 104 schools throughout India, and Friends Church is responsible. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's awesome. <coughs> but Friends Church is responsible for 42 of those 104 schools. So that's something you can clap about. Yeah, because. Yeah, we could not do that, you guys, without everybody stepping up and being a part of that. It, it's really, really amazing. And, and the children that have gone through these schools to date, 30,000. We had 6,000 graduate so far. Wow. And uh, we had 783 kids just graduate from 12th grade or, or, or from high school um, just recently. So really, really exciting stuff going on over there. Um, another thing that they are um, uh, tackling is healthcare. And COVID really boosted their presence in India. So currently, um, they have 65 healthcare clinics throughout India, and they've serviced 117,000 um, individuals, which is really, really amazing. And then a women's empowerment. Human trafficking and that type of stuff is a big deal over there. And so what they like to do is they like to go into the villages. They like to save these girls who are being trafficked. And then they just recently built a shelter uh, that has 150 beds in it. So again, a really amazing thing that we're doing over there. Um, luckily, this year we get to travel to India. It's been a long time. It's right? been a yeah, long time. Yeah, it's yeah, been yeah. about three years yeah. since we've been. So we will start having some meetings, some interest meetings that'll start in March, and then we will start traveling the second week of July. And I can tell you this: if you can make it on that trip, your life will be dramatically changed. It will be impacted in ways that you never realized. And I know that from experience because, honestly, when we first announced India, my brain was more local. And so I was kind of fighting the whole India thing. And then I went, and I, as soon as I got over there and I started experiencing the things that you experience, I totally understood why Matthew made the call that he made. Yeah. It's, 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 it's important that we continue that work. And if you can go, I promise you, you will not regret it. It'll, it'll change your life, I promise. I fell in love with my wife on a trip to India, so there's another reason to go. <laughs> I, I wasn't married to her yet, just so you know. So 
Anyway, uh, next question for you. Uh, you talked about local uh, efforts that we have, and I know we actually saw it in the video. One of the things that we've really ramped up our efforts in is in a homeless ministry, a homeless initiative. Talk to me a little bit about that. So to start out with, when I was watching those videos, I'm over there. I'm going to start right now. Start crying. Um, the work we do here is incredible, and um, currently we have three different opportunities. One opportunity is called The Hub, which is based out of Orange, and we partner with our Orange um, Friends Church. Our second opportunity is with an organization called Charity on Wheels, which is located in Anaheim. And then our third opportunity is an opportunity led by one of our elders of this church named Mark Gonzalez, and that's called Street Teams. And every single one of those opportunities that I've been involved with, and I've been involved with a lot, I see impact in people's lives on the spot. I see people serving these homeless people, pouring, pouring Jesus into them, and then when the night is over, we always debrief as a team, and during that debrief, everybody's crying. Yeah. You told me an incredible story. Can you share it with everybody here about something that happened in, in one of your... Uh, yeah, so, you know, we do Rooted. During Rooted, there's serve opportunities. I had a, a, a group of young adults reach out and say, hey, we would like to do this street teams thing. So at the time, we would go to someone's home, we would educate you on what, uh, what the night looked like, what to expect, we would teach you things to do, not to do, and then we would all go to a location that was in Fullerton at the time, uh, which was in the, um, it was at a church location, and then we would serve the homeless, we would bring these things we call blessing bags that are backpacks full of socks and medications and band-aids and things like that, and um, there was a young man you know, early 20s, who at the time was going through some struggles with his father. And uh, that night when we were out serving the homeless, God paired him up with a gentleman who had lost his son about two years earlier. And so that homeless man was able to pour into this young man who was struggling with his relationship with his dad, and um, it changed his life. That's incredible. Wow. Uh, I know there's been a ton of opportunities that have opened up recently in at-risk youth and foster kids. Uh, our Boxes of Love has opened up some, some incredible opportunities there. Talk a little bit about what we're doing in that area. So as you guys know, Boxes of Love is an amazing campaign. Um, and through that campaign, people make donations. And so Boxes of Love is also kind of an expensive campaign to run. But at the end of each campaign, there's always an amount of money that's left over. And so for years, we haven't really had a plan as to how we were going to use those funds until last year. So last year, we started a new program called the Loving Families Program. And the, the theory behind the program is we want to support friends, church, uh, and community foster and adopt families and single-parent households. And the way that that works is we have a family who needs support. We supply them with a coach. That coach checks in with them once a week. What are your prayer requests? What are your needs? That coach is then given a team of eight people who then fulfill those prayer requests, prayer requests and those needs. But as a care team member is onboarded onto a team, we set expectations. You're going to have to babysit once a week. You're going to have to bring food once a week. You're going to have to do all these things. So if you cannot do that, please do not sign up. If you can do it, sign up. The cool part about it is that because there's eight people on your team, you're only bringing a meal once every other month. So it's totally doable. And then we have a third por portion of it that we call a resource team. 
The resource team, right now, we have 300 people on this team, and those people say, hey, I don't have time to be on a care team. I don't have time to be a coach, but I can write checks for any of the resource needs of these families. So when we bring a family into the program, we allow them different opportunities to make requests to us, and so they, they're allowed to make a resource request. Looks like I need a stroller, I need a high chair, those types of things. <clears throat> When they make those requests, we create an Amazon wish list. We send that wish list out to the resource team, and um, the resource team fulfills those requests in less than 24 hours. It's unbelievable. And the stories that are coming back from this program are stories like I've never heard before. I've been here a really long time. I've been here for 30 years, and I've never seen a program that has had so much impact, not only in the families that we're serving, but also from the team members of those who they are serving. It is really, yeah, really tell, tell us that you told me a story earlier. Tell me that story. Tell us so story. I, I'm actually going to share two really quick stories. So one story is <clears throat> we have a single mom who has uh, an autistic daughter, and her daughter needs to go to physical therapy three times a week. Every time she goes to physical therapy, it's $20 copay. So, you know, $20 copay three times a week, that's $60 a week, that's $240 a month for a single mom. And you know what it's like, the cost of living here is crazy. So that story got back to us that they were choosing not to eat meals on certain nights so that they could have the $20 for the copay. So that information got back to us, and we have a family here at this church, the Van Burkles, who are involved in the physical therapy world. So we reached out to them, and they said, absolutely, send her to us. We will pay for absolutely everything. And so we made the connection, and that mom is now allowed to take her daughter to their location, and they're being serviced for free. That's it's incredible. amazing. Yeah, it's yeah, really, really good. Incredible. Really good. <clears throat> so uh, one more story. Um, uh, Olive Crest, which is one of our foster partners, reaches out to us a lot and asks us to help support some of their families. And so they reached out to us with a family who had three teen bio kids, biological kids of their own, and then they, uh, they are fostering two little babies. And so we onboard them like normal. Um, we say, hey, what are your needs? How can we help you? Well, this family, uh, one of the things that they needed was a washing machine because their washing machine broke. So think about that. They have seven people in the house and no washing machine. So they submit the information, and it comes across my desk, and I'm like, you know, I just don't feel comfortable reaching out to our congregation and our resource team and asking them for a new washing machine. So then one of our lead team members, Toshla McCabe, said, hey, what if we reached out and just said, hey, does anybody have a slightly used washing machine? So that's what we did. And then we had a family step up again in less than 24 hours. We went over and installed the washing machine, and now this family has a washing machine, right? Really, really cool. So the, the really big picture of this story and what we're doing is we always want to share the love of Christ to everybody, that, to everybody that we're serving, whether it's homelessness, whatever. We always, our thing is in order to be a partner of ours, we have to have the opportunity for relationship so that in that relationship we can share Christ. So the cool thing about this particular family is at the time, they didn't have a church home. And so because of the program, they started coming to church. And then their, their, their biological teen kids started to get connected in our youth programs. 
And then recently, the grandmother started coming to our church, and she hasn't been in a church in 30 years. And so now she's attending our church, and last, uh, on the last Connect with Friends, she attended because she wants to see how she can get connected. That's amazing. So it's just really good. Really, really good. So I imagine people are thinking... I want to get involved. I want to get my life group, group involved. How, how do we do that, John? So there's a couple different ways. On the backs of your seats here, there's a QR code. You can scan that QR code, and then there's a missions button. If you hit that missions button, it allows you to go to see all the things we're doing and to sign up for uh, more information. That's one way. A second way is, is right now we have a ministry fair going on in the pavilion, and you can go out to the ministry fair, and you can talk to anybody on my team or any of the other teams as well, because they're, they're talking about being an usher here or a greeter here or any of the other teams in the building. That's a perfect opportunity for everybody to get more information. That's awesome. Can we thank John for being with us here today? Thank you, John. As we close here today in my message part, can you, can you go ahead and pull out this card that we've been having over the last several weeks if you brought it with you? You know, John shared a lot. It may be a little bit overwhelming, but like every week in this series, here, here's really what we're asking everybody to do, and that is just to take one step, okay? We want you to take one step. And so here's what I ask you to do. Uh, I would imagine that some of you, you have a step right now in this area of go that God has put on your heart of living out the mission of Jesus. For some of you, it may be as simple as just getting to know a neighbor, the name of a neighbor or a coworker or someone at your school who you don't know yet so you can strike up a relationship with them so you can get to know Jesus. So, so eventually you can open up a door so that you can talk to Jesus about them. For others of you, it is to, to go to our ministry fair at the end of this service and to go to the go table and sign up for one of the opportunities that we have or to get more information. For others of you, maybe you know for a long time that God has been asking you to share Jesus with someone in your life. And now it's time to do that. And so whatever the step is, if, if you're ready to take the next step that God has for you, and then if you're open to whatever step God has after that, would you, would you initial or check the last line on both sides of this card right now? Go ahead and do that right now. Initial or check the both, last line of both sides of this car, card. And then I want you to hold on to this because in just a second, we're going to have that laminating party that Matthew has gotten us so excited about, okay? But as we close here, here's what I want to say. Brothers and sisters, as I said at the beginning, we all want God to bless us, right? And we all want, I would hope, life to be exciting. We'd all want life to be filled with joy. Well, this is how we do that. This is what God is passionate about. God loves saving people, men and women. So let's partner with God in that. And let's experience the blessing that comes from that. Amen? Oh, I do not believe that. Let's try that again. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me as I pray and we head into worship? Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, that you involve us in your work, God. You didn't have to. Lord, you, you can do it all by yourself, Father. But as we said, you get so much joy from, from saving people, God, that you want us to be a part of that. And I thank you for that, Lord. And so, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to step out in the ways that you would want us to step out this week, God. I pray, Father, that everybody here, you would put on their heart the one next thing that you want them to do, Lord. And I pray, God, that we would be obedient to what it is that you've asked us to do, Father. And as we do that, we would experience the joy, we would experience the thrill, we would experience the excitement, the blessing that comes with that, Father. God, you are the one who ultimately gets all the glory for everything, Father. Um, and we thank you for that, God. We want to give you the glory, Lord. 
And so God, I pray that we would live lives that are worthy of the gospel that you have called us to, Father. And that each and every day, our hearts would, would just have the attitude of, God, we, we want to be used by you. However you want to use us, we want to be used by you. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And as we head into this final song of worship, God, I pray that, um, that our worship would come from hearts that are filled with gratitude and thanksgiving for who you are and for all that you do for us. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen.